Living my father's years, <laughs> so watch it. I get that question all the time as well. Where's your father? Where's his I don't know. Because well, you're trying to watch him. All, all I say is we left work at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asked where he is. Me? Where's your Where's father? father? <laughs> 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 Such an easy life. <laughs> I, could, I would guess my father is working, because otherwise he. I have never known your father in the four years we've put on, four or five years we've done this class. Not once, never even once, has your father missed this class without telling me beforehand that he would not be here. Not one time. He didn't tell me that. I'm still waiting to get that kind of reputation out of Mr. Traficante. He's close. <laughs> but I feel that he has the potential to rise to that occasion. I'm also looking for that uh, same reputation <coughs> from Mr. Munia. Oh, really? You're really just kind of looking for that reputation? <coughs> I'm looking for that reputation for That's exactly right. All right, so a big shout out to Major John Nichols. He's the commanding general of the Texas Military Forces. Hey. Did you read that one? Say Major John or Major Tom. John. Major John <laughs> Nichols. So he's, uh, he's in charge of all the military forces and uh, homosexual individual showed up trying to get benefits as a spouse of a military person and he said I'm sorry you can't do that here because this is a Texas state facility and that crap is against Texas state law Woo! but you can go to the federal facility and deal with what you got to do so nobody's going to get denied any benefits but you got to do it at the federal level can't do it here so, Major General, God bless you. Keep standing up. Nehemiah Hopkins is here for the very first time. Gentlemen, a big shout out to Nehemiah. to he and his wife Rebecca for their new baby. Praise God. It was that prayer service. That's what it was. I'm thinking to myself, her water broke. Like 14 hours after she left my house. This is right after I said, you know, I've delivered a bunch of babies. It's not a big deal. We're breaking cover here. Thank you, Lord. I won't be that stupid next time. It is good to have my friend Joshua Nunez in the back. And with a haircut. Did everybody notice? Several. Several. Looking pretty swanky there. That's good. Tomorrow night begins 5774. Shana Tova. Happy New Year to you. 5774. I am 54 years old. And I got to tell you, it's the fastest year I've ever had. Unbelievable. Gone. Unbelievable. It was a busy year. It was. And it hasn't slowed down. Two daughters get married. He has a granddaughter turn one. What happened? I got another granddaughter coming. Yes. Tosh Leek is going to be at a new pavilion at the same park. But I want you to picture, well, if you live at the if you live at the Upham home, you come out of your neighborhood and you're like there. <laughs> but they had to turn left and turn right into the park. Now they're going to go straight across 49 
on Shopton Road and hang a left and it'll be there. So that's what you need to do. So instead of coming in off of 49, we're gonna go down Shopton Road and come in on the other side because we're gonna be on the other side of the lake and it's swanking. 10 picnic tables under the overhead. Restrooms, right there. Water fountain, right there. Horseshoes, right there. Volleyball, right there. Oh, yeah. And a sink, so we can finally wash our hands before we eat. That's Copperhead Island, which happens to be where my son-in-law actually asked my daughter if she would marry me. If I'm not mistaken. You are not mistaken. It happens. It happens. Not all the time, but it does happen. There is no Shabbat service this week. You might think there would be. But there's not. This Shabbat is a special Shabbat. Does anybody know what the name of this Shabbat is? Shabbat Shabbat. Shabbat Shabbat. This is the Sabbath of return. Now, why would that be? Why would we have a Shabbat dedicated to Chuva, to repentance? Why would, we, why would that be? Because Yom Kippur is coming right up. The very next Shabbat is Yom Kippur. Or biblically, Yom HaKippurim. The Day of Atonement. Plural. Right? We've got to atone for rocks, altars, buildings, stuff like that. I wonder and if that has to do with eternal salvation. And, and people. And people, including we start with the most holy man's family and himself. It would be the day when the holiest day of the year when the holiest man on the planet goes into the holiest place on the planet and mediates for everyone. This Sunday is Tzom Gedalia or Tzom Gedaliah depending on where you're from. It's the fast of Gedaliah. What's that all about? He was assassinated. He was assassinated, but who was he? He was the leader of uh, Israel following the exile to Babylon. And, um, well, so, no, are they in Babylon or are they okay. in Israel? Basically, the Babylonians took the cream of the crop. That's the best. Daniel and his buddies and all those type people. Yes. And left the leftovers, the poor people, you know, the bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel people realized that they'd be given a second chance. And so they um, were kind of rebuilding things, doing things there. And Gedaliah was their leader. And things were actually turning up. Things were looking pretty good. But then Gedaliah found out that his life was in danger and he ignored the warnings. And he was assassinated. And after that, everything went downhill. He was a good man. He was sort of the last line of yeah. defense. And he war. was assassinated. So we're going to Bunjarno. Uh, we're going to fast for him. So who can bring this home? I thought there was only one fast. On the uh, on the biblical calendar, that being Yom Kippur, who can help me understand why we would fast this Sunday? Well, I could call on you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to let you give me a box. Well, it, it is. No, no, no. You already talked. You're wearing an orange shirt anyway. Come on. Why should we fast? Well, I'm I'm looking for some type of biblical mooring for it. Well, it's. It's listed in the Tanakh in, uh, is it, is 
Zechariah. Zechariah. Good. The four fast days. Okay, so we got the fast of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, and the tenth. Right. What 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 is that? What are those numbers? The months. They're the months. The fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month. What month of the year is Tishri? Seventh. It's the seventh month. So what what does the Bible say about these? It uh, encourages us to remember and keep those fast days. What is the Lord going to do when he returns? I have a question. If, if it's the new year, how is it the seventh month? Hmm. Oh, no, we had a class on that, but we're going to do that again. Okay, so this should be the first. Right here now. it is. <laughs> yeah. This should be the first of the months for you. What month am I talking about? Nisan. Nisan, right? Nisan. Or Aviv, depending mm -hmm. on... Which, you know, language which language you want to speak and which one we're doing, right? It's the first of the month. It's the first of the year. And that is when we have Pesach. Okay? So we're in the springtime. And it has to be in the springtime. But there's more than one new year. For example, when is the king coronated? When do they, when do, they do a new king? We've got to write down the Torah like we just read in the, in the Torah portion. When does that happen? When we have a... Uh, Shemitah year, every seven years. You know, we, we let everybody go free, we, you know, we cancel the debts and stuff like that. Every seven years. When does that start? When uh, the Yovel, the Jubilee year, every 50 years. When does that start? It starts in the fall. When do we start to count the year? It was the sixth year of King Jedekiah. When does that start counting? It counts from the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. It it starts in the seventh month, which is exactly half a year out from that. When's the New Year's for trees? You got to tie a little ribbon around the old oak tree. No, no. <laughs> you, you tie a little ribbon around all the new fruit. Because you can't eat the fruit. When? First year? No. Second year? No. Third year? No. So three years, we got to know what we're doing with this fruit. Because what do we do with the fruit that we get in those years? We give it to God. Or When? New Year for Trees, which is completely different from the New Year for Kings and the New Year for Religious Events. So there's many New Years. Check out the class. It's, 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 it's like America has a fiscal year, yeah. you've got a civil year. We've got an educational year. year. When does school start? August, September. When do you pay your taxes? April 15th. When does the New Year start? Which year are you talking about? Same kind of deal. And birthdays. And birthdays, yeah. Okay, so what's the Lord going to do on these Fast days. He's going to turn them into feast days. So he's going to take days of mourning and turn it into days of joy and feasting. Well, if they're not days of mourning for you, how can he turn them into days of joy and feasting for you? And this holiday, um, it's this fast day, rather, it's in the middle of the days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's a time of introspection and repentance anyway. It's a perfect time to have a fast day. Can't hurt. But then on top of that, I think that, for me at least, it's a day commemorating the death of an important leader in Israel and a tragedy that leads to the um, complete exile of Israel during the Babylonian captivity. And I think it's an excellent time for us to be fasting and praying for our leadership. A time to remember that... You know, God knows they need it. Right. This is, And especially now as things are kind of hot and heavy in the Middle East and one of the things that, and all the things we deal with in our own lives here in America, it's a good time to be, you know, fulfilling what Paul talks about and praying for our, for our leaders that they would uh, 
have godly wisdom and whatever else. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Romans 13. Big, big, uh, big ten. So uh, when we have uh, opportunity to uh, lift up our leaders, it's probably a good idea. It's an easy fast. What's that mean? Sunrise to sundown. Okay? So, you know, if you're a wimp like me, you have a massive, awesome breakfast before sunrise. Oh, you don't get up that early? You will that too. <laughs> and then you fast, and it's a good idea for you to use meal times to pray. Pray the prayers during the meal times. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be eating. Why would you be at the table? So pray. And you fast through the day, and then after sundown, have another gorgeous meal. Okay. Joseph, another quick question. Yes. So I get the fact that we fast because of Zachariah, but I I don't. Zechariah. Yeah, the, I get I get the the turning and the and the gladdening part. Yes. Um, but if we're fasting over our leaders, do we fast the day Yeshua died? You certainly can. Because I mean, wouldn't. Wouldn't that be a better argument to fast for a, of a man's memory? Yeah. Okay, you bring up a good point. Um, I'll give you two answers, and they're my answers. So they may not be right, but they're my current position. First of all, I'm not going to fast for my master's death because it focuses on the wrong part of his death. Because if we remember that he suffered, was buried, and died. And we neglect 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the fact that he rose from the dead, then we've missed the point. And, and if he didn't rise, then our faith is to be pitied because we're stupid. We're, we're causing ourselves to live according to the Torah when God's a liar. So I want to rejoice that he has been raised from the dead and if you talk to Greg about the uh, meal of Messiah at the end of the unleavened bread time, you get an opportunity to actually feast rather than fast for our master. So that's the first one. The second one is that I, I don't want to avoid fasting when these fasts occur in Israel and occurred so long and so consistently in Israel that it actually got into the scripture. And God himself recognized these traditions and said, I'm going to grab onto your traditions and I'm going to use them to bless you. Which is astonishing if you look at what we normally think about traditions. And here God's taking the tradition and saying, I like that. I'm going to turn that around for you though. I mean, let me tell you what it's going to be like when I return. That's amazing. So, you get the Zechariah thing, you get the, you get the master deal, the, 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 the point I would make, the second point would be, I may not respect a lot of the leaders either in America or Israel today for their positions in various areas. But as Joshua pointed out, this guy was top shelf. He had a good reputation. And he was killed ruthlessly in a deal that just smells bad. And I would like to lift him up and use him as an example for myself to walk. And I think the focus of the fast is not so much 
Gedaliah himself. Right. Um, it's really more because it was the straw that broke the camel's back that thrust Israel into exile. All four of those fasts that we mentioned before have links to the exile uh, in Babylon. They were either when Nebuchadnezzar breached the walls, when the siege started, or when the temple was destroyed. And this is just part of that chain of events yes. that basically finished off Israel. Boom, we're done. The Davidic dynasty ended at that point. Yeah. And that's a big deal. And I think it should still be a big deal for us. And the whole point mm -hmm. of fasting now is looking forward to his return when the, when the, the temple is rebuilt, the dynasty of David through Yeshua HaMashiach is restored. Amen. And he, the king is again on the throne. So the fast now is not so much as a yard site for Gedaliah, he is simply the focal point because his death was a catalyst that led to the complete exile of Israel. And the complete destruction. Good. Excellent. I don't know if it's a time to bring this up, but we mentioned about praying for our leaders. Okay? Yes. Why would we pray for a Muslim president that's running this nation? Okay. And not a godly man. Now the office, okay, is different. The man that's in the office, why should we pray for him? That's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, I bring you to Romans 13 to say that God is the one who allowed him to right. become our president. Because we just, that's what we deserve. No question time. about it. So if, if we recognize that the influences and decision-making processes on this man's heart are not the best, what can change that? Mm. Okay. To me, nothing but prayer. Now, I would, uh, I would suggest that uh, this president is not one that I enjoy having. But because God put him in that place and he's got that office, regardless of what he's been doing with it, I need to pray that the decisions he makes are as biblically focused, as, as, as biblically minded as can be. And all I can do is pray, not so much for his heart, I've been doing that, but rather that he be surrounded by godly men who will speak up. And that's why I lifted up um, Major General John Nichols, because this guy spoke up. And he spoke up for the Constitution of the state and recognizes what the rule of law is. As far as executive orders goes, our current president has met, had more executive orders, which is ruling by fiat rather than by the way our country was designed to run than any other president in history combined. So I'm hoping that I can affect his behavior as well as his salvation. I understand what you're saying, but it, nobody said it was pleasant. It, it, excuse me one That's second. Okay. Go ahead. I think it's more biblical than praying for a massive lightning bolt <laughs> and a little grease spot on the ground. Yes. All right. If you if you look at it, you know, going to his point um, in Scripture, you know, the Most High used a lot of unholy men as far as uh, you know punishment for other nations and even, even punishment called, for Israel and even called them you know, you're his at servants ones. he called them yeah. his servants at yeah. times yeah. Yeah. you're looking at Cyrus Nebuchadnezzar you know all these different leaders and then uh, you had uh, you had the leaders who were influenced by the righteous men in the nation yeah. like Daniel you know yes. 
um, they influenced these people. That's right. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. So, you know, I think that's now, a good prayer for to, humility. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't really be bad for our country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if, do, you, do you notice? Yeah. Good. Good. And First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two, encourages us to always be praying for the leadership, um, primarily so that God would work in them to give us peaceful lives. Sure. Give, yeah, let us be able to live godly lives. All right, this is going to be great. And at some point here, we're we're actually going to get to tonight's lesson. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad about that. Yes. Well, yeah, you need to speak up so this that. thing can get. <laughs> How would you, uh, or what what would you say with regards to? the fast of the seventh versus Yom Kippur versus the fast of Gedaliah uh, with regards to that, which one it's referring to. Yeah. And then secondly, uh, why is there not any mention of this fast really throughout history until hundreds of years later after Yeshua, even the practice of it, and in the prophets or by the Tarmidim or Yeshua or in Hebrews, you know, these men of faith and that. Why is this person never mentioned or yeah. the fast never practiced or mentioned until hundreds of years later? Yeah, I don't know that it wasn't practiced because if we look at our timeline, you know, if we've got today, we back up a thousand years to Rashi, a thousand years to Yeshua, a thousand years to King David. All of the prophets, every one of them, is here in this 500 year first half of this wall. Right. It was codified there that it was already a tradition there. And I find that the Bible is a, is a book of anomalies. We don't get written down what the master did that was consistent with tradition. It was only when he broke the tradition that the question was raised, no, hang on a second, why aren't you washing your hands? Why didn't they wash their hands? What are we doing here? Why are you healing on the Sabbath? We don't heal on the Sabbath. Well, he heals on the Sabbath. So I would say it was already codified, and it's in the Word of God that it was a tradition, and one that God not only recognized, but also lifted up to use as a sign of his son's return. So to your question about whether the fast of the seventh is Gedalia or Yom Kippur, I think without question it's Gedalia, because all the others are traditional fasts. And Yom Kippur is not a traditional fast. It's a commanded fast. Your, your, your mileage may vary. If you don't want to do the fast, don't do the fast. But it does give you the opportunity to join with Israel and to recognize a tradition that God also recognized. Briefly, God could have said, you fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth. Boy, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? I only told you to fast one day in the whole year to afflict your souls, which, of course, is a traditional interpretation that we would fast anyway. So, yeah. I think that Yeshua does talk about fasting a lot in Matthew 6. Yeah. There's no fast mentioned, but he does say, when you fast, yada, yada. Yeah. And also Romans 14, Paul does mention, and at least the first half of that, these days that some people are observing, but others are not, and it has to do mm -hmm. with fasting is the most mm -hmm. likely background of that. And yeah. so, Whatever fast days they are observing there, they don't tell us, but there is a tradition of fasting certain times that varied by people, and obviously those wouldn't be the biblical feast because yeah. that's set. Because they couldn't be. Yeah. Right, exactly. All right, let's move on before we run out of, run out of time. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with the Bible software Accordance, 
you probably are using a Windows box, and that's okay. There's no shame in that, as my son would say. Accordance is pretty, pretty astonishing. And it's available on your iPhone. Um, but they just came out with, over the past month or two, a, a feature that has been most asked for, and that is the ability for you to bring up the English text of the Tanakh, let's say Genesis, and have as an interlinear what the Hebrew is. That's cool. Almost all Bible software can do that. But what's neat about it is as you hover over, and this is not new, this is from the beginning, you <laughs> if you hover over an English word, it highlights that word in Hebrew. That's really handy for a yutz like me. Hovering over the water. Thank you. If you also hover speaking. over the Hebrew, it highlights the English word. Now that in and of itself is neat, but it gets better. You can turn on an interlinear and have it put the parts of speech and so forth. And now it will add the other language. So you can add the Septuagint and literally hover over an English word and it highlights the Hebrew word and the, English, the Greek word in the Septuagint. That's spectacular. Because a lot of us have been doing a lot of work to get that word. How is the word beginning translated in the Septuagint in Greek? And then I can bring it to the Greek New Testament and look at it. And all you have to do now is highlight it. Extraordinary. You go over to the New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures, and you're highlighting an English word, and you can see what it is in the Greek New Testament just by highlighting it. And it will do that all at the same time. Accordance for Windows comes out this year. It went into uh, final beta last week. Advanced how advanced the Windows version will be. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. Uh, all right. Well, tonight, our last class, we've got... Uh, We've got some topics. Uh, Alex down in Texas listening uh, put in a comment, and he wanted us to talk about one law and what's the big deal and what's what's going on. So we're going to talk about one God, one law, two salvations, two invitations, two houses, maybe three gods, and four, we're going to talk a little bit about sacred name. Now, we're family here. If there's something you don't like, you need to speak up. We'll ignore you. It's okay. <laughs> But if you're thinking a certain way, believing a certain way, here's the place where we should argue that. Not for win or lose, not for good or bad, not for right or wrong, but rather so that we can argue back and forth and come to the truth. So, don't be shy. Step up. If you don't, I will pick on you. And I will make clear what I think your position is, and then you can either defend it or just put your head down. So we talk about one God. Do you believe that there's one God? Yes. That seems pretty, pretty unanimous. In fact, it is the only thing that divides us from others. If you'll notice in the scripture, most of the time, the pagans 
or the non-believers, the outsiders, if you will, are described as being the lovers or worshipers of other gods. It's almost always plural. I think it's always, but I haven't checked. So polytheism versus monotheism. We believe in monotheism. Now, there's a creed in Judaism from the scripture that supports that. What is it? The Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. He's unique. He's one. He's unity. He's unified. So there can be an implication of a plurality even in that, in some mystical way. And we look at that on Pesach. As we looked at the Echad, the three layers of the Pesach unleavened bread, and traditionally it's the second piece that's broken. But the whole stack of bread is traditionally called the Echad. It's one, and yet there's three. Wait. Isn't the Dalit in Echad usually enlarged because it's in the it is in the okay. Sure. That's because isn't that because if you drop the the tittle part on the on the back side of the it, it would be a rish, which means a car, which is like another instead just of another just one. Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. So we believe in one God. Do we believe in one law? What does that term mean? In the culture today. Don't be shy. In the context of this discussion, for one law, it means that whether you are a Jew or a non-Jew, the same statutes and commandments apply to you. As they do to a Jew. Yeah, everybody across the board gets the same commandments. It's not like mm -hmm. the Noah. I just thought you continued to quote the scripture, but you stopped and, and went into trafficante mode. <laughs> There shall be one, one law for you, the Jew, and sojourner among the Exactly right. And says it at least two places. Now, why do we have two laws? We also have the oral. Okay? Some people follow. They say that's equivalent to the written law. Okay? You said we and they, and those are both indefinite pronoun references. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, what's up with the oral law? Cheap seats? What is it? What's up with it? No. He, just, certain, he just gave two statements about the oral law. Certain commandments that are described when we say one law are a little vague, and so the Jews kind of established tradition and more concrete action steps for those commandments laid out in the oral law. And it was always just said. You just see somebody tying their zitzit a certain way, and it was passed on that way. And eventually it was... Father to son, right. teacher to student. And eventually those traditions were kind of passed down, and of course included in that are some interpretations of scripture and whatnot, but eventually they were passed down to the point where they figured they had to write them down or they would lose them. And so that's what we that's why the oral law is now written down. Yeah. And it's and it's been codified. Well, traditionally, right. what stand up? What did uh, 
what did our one of our, our uh, favorite rabbis say about the Talmud? Now, the Talmud is a compilation of two or three different writings. It's the oral tradition called the Mishnah that had been codified by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Judah the Prince, and the Gemara, the discussions about it. Right, so you put those in one volume and you have what's called a Talmud. We have two Talmudim, one called the Bavli, the Babylonian, and one called the Yerushalami, which is actually not in Jerusalem, but those are the two, because of where the discussions were held. What did he say? I thought it was fascinating. Well, the, so a little, bit, a little bit more context. So the Mishnah is what Yehuda Hanasim redacted as the oral understandings that had come down, you know, from prior generations. Presumably from Moses to Joshua to, okay. and the men of the According greatest According to Judaism, it begins with Moses and comes down. Um, the question was, okay, if you, if, has anybody ever looked at a tractate of Mishnah? Yeah. Okay. Well, when you pick up a tractate of Mishnah, uh, whatever, you know, whatever tractate it is, whatever topic is being discussed, right, you will see, you'll see discussion like this. Rabbi so-and-so says that, you know, the understanding is this way. Uh, Rabbi so-and-so says, well, no, the understanding was that way. And there's some, there's some debate and some other, you know, dialogue that goes on. And then, they may or may not uh, may, or may, may or may not reach a conclusion. Often they do reach a conclusion, but um, the question was: Okay, well, according to Judaism, according to Orthodox Judaism, they say that the oral uh, understandings were given by God to Moses on the mountain, just like the just like the, the written Torah, right? So the question was, all right, well, if that's true, and the Mishnah that we have is supposed to be the oral understandings, then was God confused? Because why is one rabbi say this and another rabbi say that, and, what, and there's this dialogue? And often they're diametrically opposed. Yeah, sure. So, um, so the the response uh, to the question was was interesting. Uh, the answer was, well, the Mishnah is, is not a perfect, you know, th again, this is, this is uh, coming from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, so uh, you know, your views can, can vary on all this, but from his perspective, he said, look, what, what Yehuda HaNasim wrote down in, in the Mishnah that we have today is not the perfect um, oral understandings that go all the way back, but, and, and and his point, the point he was making was, the whole reason it was being, it had to be written down, or Yehuda Hanasim took it upon himself to write it down, was because some of these things were starting to be uh, forgotten and lost because of, you know, the constant oppression from Gentiles and the exiles and you know this, that, and the other, and so they were starting to lose it. And with the with the, 
the destruction of the temple in seventy Common Era, and with the you know basically you you died and Rome's either killed you or you were kicked out of the land. Yehuda Hanasi said, "Man, we in an, in another generation, this will be totally lost forever." And so that's the reason why he wrote down the the fragments, for lack of a better term, of the understandings that were still oral at that point. Uh, and he wrote it down and redacted it so that it wouldn't be lost for forever. That's what's called the Mishnah. And then subsequent generations came along and started looking at the Mishnah and started commenting on the Mishnah, and that's the Gemara and the two together, as, as Joseph said, is the Talmud. So, to answer your question, As I read the scripture, which in Torah is the written word of God and only the written word of God, I come across things that I don't know how to put into practice. I read that the master went a Sabbath day's journey and that he participated in the tradition of his day in only going a certain distance on Shabbat. You know what? I'd like to know how long that is. What's the answer? Well, you know, I can ask a bunch of Gentiles and they may come up with who knows what. But they don't have a whole lot of history in keeping the Torah to begin with, so I'm probably asking the wrong people. So, if I want to make a determination for myself, and for my family, then I'm going to start by reading the Talmud. They talked about it. They discussed it. I'm not going to take it as gospel, but I'm certainly going to see what did they wrestle with? What scripture references did they use to come to a conclusion? What was uppermost in their minds with regard to Shabbat and traveling that I probably wouldn't even think about because I'm a Gentile and I'm late to this? Others in, in Bellatora may give it more weight, less weight. I am always fascinated, sometimes good, sometimes bad, with the Talmud. But it's to me, that's not the scripture. I agree. However, where is the scriptural basis for the Father giving the oral Torah to Moses? It's not in the scripture. You're right. And the second not. problem comes in when you give something and it's passed on and you don't have it in the Word of God, people start adding to and taking away. Sure. And there's a long like time frame. Okay. So how how can we possibly use that is to tell us what prayers to pray on what day, who gives them authority? Because, you know, like I, the pushing answer, the, yeah, pushing the, answer, the button in an elevator, these yeah. kind of things. And the answer to that is nobody. There is no authority at all. Well, yeah, but, okay. But Judaism <coughs> has recognized some traditions that our master had absolutely no problem with, and he participated in. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, what traditions did he appreciate? I already know which traditions he didn't appreciate. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you very clearly that on Shabbat, on Arab Shabbat, 
when it comes to the washing of the hands, we don't do it in our house. Specifically to remember Yeshua and the fact that that was one of the problems he had. There's nothing wrong with washing hands. Right. But it just reminds us that there's always a bit of angst here when we look at nothing but traditions. So if the question is, should we look at traditions? I don't see any problem with that. Should we use them as our guide? Most oftentimes, I don't have a problem with that. Should we use them as the rule? I have a real problem with that. So I'm wearing a keeper right now. There's absolutely no biblical mandate for me to do that. But I like it. Yeah. And I can argue yeah. it. So th that's, I think if we keep it in the box and we keep it in the context, we're fine. So back to our one law. That one law definitely, without question, at least at Bella Torah, is the scripture, the written scripture. And the oral traditions guide us, hopefully, as to how we can be obedient to the written scripture and how we might be able to go ahead and join ourselves to greater Israel and identify with God's people in their practice where it doesn't violate the scripture. Mm. Yeah, I, and I think that's an important point to put. And I understand what you're saying about how individual leaders of their homes practice it. Exactly. Okay, here. However, in the big picture, joining ourselves to Israel when they're doing stuff like that, okay, they don't believe in the resurrection of the Messiah, okay? Why would so, we want Some of them don't. Yeah, but there I have a problem with these very few closets. Why are they still in the closet to believe that? But big picture-wise... Why would we want to join ourselves to a group of people and not be an anti-Semitic? I'm sure. just saying. Even though it sounds like Yeah. <laughs> that, that practice input of the oral law into what they do. They'll tell you, like right here, we talked about this. Sure. Okay. There's things in there that say, do not read this here. Sure. Do not read this. Yeah. Who gives them the authority? They don't have the over, authority. I'm, I'm talking about picture-wise, not in yeah. your house or in my house. Okay. Okay. But we're reading a manuscript that they put out so don't do this. It has Kabbalism and all these things. Sure. Um, what do you call it? Uh, moving souls to souls. Uh, yeah, reincarnation yeah. and all some, that. Some, some stuff that we just don't believe. Yeah, where did all this come from? And why do we put any faith or, in other words, why aren't we going by what this says? Yeah. And the okay. answer is, we don't do anything out of that prayer book that will cause us to violate the scripture. Mm. Yes. At all. I understand it here, but I'm talking about others out there, okay, that we're supposed to be attaching ourselves to. I'm going to attach myself to God's people because he said I should. Mm. That's all. And when the, when the chips get thrown down, I want people to look and say, you're with them, aren't you? Mm. That's what I want. No more than that. No less than that. And if they start to beat on his people, I want to stand in the fray and say, if you're going to beat on them, you better beat on me too. It doesn't go any further than that, Roger, in my book. Uh, did you have something before? No. Yeah. Behind you. Yes. Uh, question. Is there, I guess today, I mean, the scripture, it's clear that there is, you know, sands of the sea, but there's a remnant. Is there today, when we're talking about God's people, God's people, is there a difference between God's people, as in the people of God being Israel as a nation, and 
God's people, the remnant of Israel that we are supposed to attach ourselves to? Is there that difference, or is it just <clears throat> all of Israel believing and unbelieving? We're attaching to them, as opposed to only the believing remnant, the actual household of God. That's a great question. Um, before I answer, I'll give some of the other guys uh, an opportunity to answer. But I would raise to your attention that in Israel, I can show you YouTube videos of absolutely ultra-Orthodox, which is really not a, a, a proper term, but it, it helps you understand. Here's ultra-Orthodox Jews keeping all of the traditions of their ancestors who are strong, faithful believers in Messiah that are being spit on and abused by their own people because they believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So um, if we believe that believers in Messiah can't look Jewish or can't keep the traditions, that's simply not the case. So when the scripture says that we should join ourselves to Israel, are we assuming that there is a monolithic Judaism to which we can join? Because the answer is, I have never met two Jews that believe the same thing. Quite frankly, I've never met two Gentiles that believe the same thing either, even though they go to the same church. Most of them don't even know what their doctrine is. But we know that in Romans 11, Paul makes it clear that all Israel shall be saved. Now, I personally believe that's all Israel who happens to be on the planet at that moment, not all Israel down through time. Because there is no way to have a place in the world to come except that you believe and trust in the finished work of Yeshua, the Messiah. Period. That's it. So, if you join yourself to a believer in Yeshua who happens to be Jewish and is practicing his faith, should that look any different than yours? I don't know. Well, as far as the um, attachment to the people of God, um, I think it's important to note, uh, I like my dad's use of concentric circles, uh, but as far as the um, thinking of Israel, my dad's picture is the circles inside of circles. Yeah. And I really like that image, because you have the bigger circle, which is Israel as a nation. Is there any napkins in here or something? Within That's that... You have a within that circle. You've got a smaller circle that would be like you know observant Israel, okay. Um, uh, then you've got another circle of believing Israel, and there's overlap. They're all inside of this group of known as Israel. And um, as we come up with Sukkot, there's a really neat little tradition about um, Israel that has to do with the the lulav, the thing, the branches we we shake um, during Sukkot. And there's four elements in the lulav, and traditionally, each of the four represents a different person in Israel. One represents the totally wicked, one represents the person who studied much but does little, one represents the person who does a lot but doesn't know very much, and one represents the righteous person. And Judaism says that they're all, like, I mean, even the wicked play a role in, in the unity of Israel. And it's only when God um, brings them all together that, that the unity of the people of God is so important and so powerful that they are most in the service of God when they are united. Um, and so in that sense, I want to be a part of the people of God, which is Israel as a whole. And within that, there are pockets. Now, what's going to happen with the croppings that aren't inside, you know, the other circles? That's God's business. I'll leave that in his hands, and he'll decide what he's going to do when the time comes. Well, isn't it but as far as, as far as this, 
just as joining Israel, I want to be identified with that people group. Isn't it interesting that we extracted ourselves, most of us, I think, from the visible expression of the church today? Mm. And in so doing, what statement were we making? Mm. The practice here is not what I want to practice. And some of you I know have struggled with the, with the label Christian because it means so many things to so many people. And in some cases, it means some nasty things. But there are people out there claiming to be Christians who have absolutely no problem with homosexuality. Now, I have a serious problem if you say you're a Christian and you say that homosexuality is okay, I do not want to be joined to you. In fact, I don't want to be associated with you. So, we, again, we can't take the monolithic thing and say they all think the same way. None of them are saved. We know that's not true. They all practice this weird Kabbalah stuff and rip the heads off of chickens and swing them around their heads. That's not true. They all stop. They all don't do anything just as in Bellator. We have a short list of absolute fundamental essentials of our faith that we believe, and these are non-negotiable. One of which, by the way, is that Yeshua is not only the only way to salvation, but he is God. And we're going to get into that in a second. Now, how you deal with the fact that he is God, and you've got God walking on the planet and dying, you paddle your own canoe. I think I've got a couple answers on that. But we as a community don't say exactly how you should answer that question. Whether or not you keep kosher, whether or not you rip toilet paper, whether or not you wear tzitzit, kippah, I don't care. Those are not the fundamentals that join us together. What joins us together is a love for God's word, a love for God's people, a love for God's land, and overarching all of that is that we are Gentiles saved by faith in Messiah Yeshua. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. Good job. Thank you. One law. Questions on one law. We believe that there is one law for the Gentile and for the Jew. What's the opposite? There is, for the ethnic born Jew, the law of Moses. Yes. And depending on which Jew you're talking about, some might assign for the Gentile, the righteous Gentile, the Noahide laws, okay. or some form of that. Back to the Talmud with the Noahide laws. Or the Acts. Or Acts 15. Right? And the uh, four prohibitions. Okay. So, what do you think about that? Can we read the verses where we get one law from? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's only two or three. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one of them I can well, just quote. I feel like I, all right. I just thought that, that. Yeah, yeah. There should be one law for you, speaking to the Jew, and for the alien who sojourns among you. That's a direct law. Mm -hmm. 
is is that in the context of sacrifices? It's actually in the context of a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Of, of living amongst the people, like everybody who lives together I, I practices this. I think we can, I mean, we'd have to do a whole class on it, but I think that we can argue effectively that at least when Moses was writing, there's no question that the mixed multitude that came out of Israel, despite what the oral traditions say, that mixed multitude that came out was Jew and Gentile, mm -hmm. obviously majority Jewish. And they were all given the same law. They were all expected to keep the same law. It wasn't that they found this guy carrying wood, gathering sticks and carrying it on the, on the Sabbath, and said, oh, wait, whoa, 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 it's okay, he's Gentile. There's not even a hint of that. There appears to be a very mono nomic one law presentation throughout the Torah and it didn't matter whether you had been joined to the family or you were born in the family and I think that you know just to take it outside the scriptural thing I got you um, a, a logical example would be as a dad right if I were to adopt a child today there's no way I would give that child any different rules than my biological children. What a way to wreak havoc in a house. And the master spoke about that. A house divided against itself, which is what happens when you have dual rules, cannot stand. Can't happen. And you can speak to people that have, the Allison family comes to mind, biological children and adopted children. And they, they've learned through trial and error. You can't have different rules for different kids. But and also that there just is no other law in the scripture. It is correct. And even, there's no other law for the Gentile in the scripture, in the Torah. And of course, uh, Rick uh, Spurlock's famous comment is, the Noahide laws do not appear on one page in the Talmud. They're not there. You got a couple over here, you got a couple over there, but there is no list of the Noahide laws. I think you were first. I'll defer to the defer. Just, just that while there is no second law, there are at least two different commandments in regards to finding a, a dead animal. Like it's, it, the, the Torah says, you cannot give it to your to your brother, but to the nocher who who is in your gates, you can sell it to him. And um, the nocher and then nochri, I think, is what no it's called. Um, so, so there is a there is at it's least a standard for right, for, and uh, supposedly that person is a complete pagan worshiper, just who's in, in, in who, who well, will come in contact. Well, with. well, let's let's jump in there and say it is assumed, especially by sages, that that is this man's character. Why? Because apparently every other law applies to the Gentile. Right. So. Yeah. If somebody's going to say to me, you shouldn't keep the Torah, why? Because we're no longer under law, we're under grace. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to laugh and sit down and say, well, let's, let's look at this, because it looks like you're taking one verse and trying to negate the entire Torah. And the same thing would happen if we look at the one verse about the Nochri and negate the rest of the Torah. Good point. And one of the things, it is true that the references to one law for Jew and Gentile often if not entirely are in relation to specific commandments 
But what I always thought was funny is that those specific commandments are not the standard everybody does them commands. It's not murder. It's not theft. It's not lying. It's not, you know, idolatry. It's Pesach. It's circumcision. It's sacrifice. Well, circumcision is part of Pesach. You have to be circumcised to keep Pesach. It's, it's these things that are extreme. It's Shabbat. It's these things that are extremely Jewish. Yes. And only Jews do them. That it would be really kind of like so. In other words, instead of it being a um, one of the civil laws or whatever you want to call it, moral law, oh, or, 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 or I know, or or whatever, it's not. It's actually the things that would be considered ritual yes. by Christianity. Or, on contrast, the four laws that's listed in Acts 15 are not the ones that God says this is for both. It's completely different commandments. Yeah. Good. John. Um, well, there. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes back to you know, sort of what Greg was hitting on to begin with about the Mishnah and a lot of the things, you know, the debates that are that happen in the Talmud, they end up being codified, you know, the, the, the sort of the outcome, the, the conclusion comes forth in the Shulchan Aruch. Well, you know, right. It, it's, it's, you don't want to, if you don't want to know how we got here, here's just what to do. Yeah. According and, and I think to their, that's a natural progression coming from commands that when people are joined, I, I want to say come into a covenant, into the covenant, you know, I want to use that language. Um, it's important that when people start desiring to keep God's commands, you know, Greg mentioned tzitzit earlier, then you've got, you know, mezuzah and tefillin. Who says that you're supposed to put a little scroll in a little box on, outside your door? It doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, you know, to some degree, this is where it comes from. Like I think the it's how we say the it's the best we've got, and we don't want to keep reinventing the wheel, coming up with um, you know our own way of doing things. Um, so this is where you know it creates unity amongst God's people, and you know like with Shabbat, you know we know that when. Messiah returns, maybe soon in our days, he's gonna set things straight. You know, it's, and um, so do we say, I'm not gonna keep this commandment because I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do, or do I go on what I have? Good. Good. So on the to play the devil's advocate here or the adversary here for the issue of one law, the the other side of the argument would uh, would take Jerusalem Council, right? And they would say, look, uh, the apostolic leadership, right? Believers in Messiah Yeshua got together in Jerusalem and had a, had a, it was a bait deen, right? Which in and of itself is a so, protest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Beitin, and they got together with Beitin to 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 discuss the issue of um, well, it was a number of issues, but ultimately it was how do we, you know, how do we interact with the, all these Gentiles coming? How do we counsel these right. new Gentiles? And we can read Acts fifteen, and we see all the arguments back and forth, and then at the end, the head of Beitin. Yaakov stands up and says, here's the ruling, right? Here's the decision. Right. 
and he says, we're going to tell them that they have to do these four things, right? And to your point, he doesn't say, don't steal, don't murder, don't, you know, commit adultery, or, you know. Uh, there's different theories as to why he wouldn't have included that, right? One theory would be because those were already understood under the Noahide laws. The other theory is that most of those were already outlawed under Roman law, which these Gentiles would have already been subject to, right? What, so whatever. But he says, here's four things, actually really categories, it's four categories of things that they need to do. And they're going to learn the rest on Shabbat when they hear Moses taught in the synagogue, mm -hmm. right? So there was a clear intention that they would um, learn the rest of the Torah and other 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 matters as they as they grow and come into the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, the the divine invitation crowd would say they would not disagree with anything I just said. Right. But they would go to the actual ruling in Acts twenty two when they actually wrote the legal ruling that was binding because the Beit Deen in Jerusalem the Messianic community had authority to bind all the other members of the community to that ruling. Binding is, has to do with halakha, how you walk it out. So, uh, so they, they codify the legal opinion in Acts 22 and the legal opinion just says you only have to do these four things. So even though the intention was they're going to learn all this other stuff, um, you only have to do what's in the legal opinion. And the legal opinion says it's only these four things. So that's the other side that's the, the that's the primary argument for the other side. Right. And our response? If Moses is being heard every Shabbat, well, who cares? If they're there hearing Moses and the scripture is being read publicly out loud, as the apostolic scripture says it should be, and they hear Moses, are we not implying that it's going to affect their behavior? Yes, sir. You bet. Yes, sir. So the argument on their side is, and they can if they want to. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's a problem with that, and we'll get into the problem in a minute. Yes, well, um, one problem is that Yeshua told us to be blameless, like to be perfect, to as, as we hear. And does it, it, I think the issue at hand was a uh, prerequisite to salvation, to receiving the Spirit. You know, because Peter Kephah had got up and told them, you know, he accepted Cornelius, right? And Cornelius wasn't he may he, he understood some of the traditions praying three times a day um he may have kept culture it doesn't kosher it doesn't say that you know but obviously he respected the culture and wanted to be grafted in um and it didn't take him to practice the whole law and understand all the oral traditions and all this in order to be accepted enough for his family to get the holy spirit mm -hmm. and so these beginning aspects um, if you look at it like the dietary law, like staying away from food dedicated to idols, and you know, it, it's almost like they're telling them to cleanse the cup, or you know, or a, in or order to receive the spirit, or a minimum, or a minimum basis. Or and then, as we um, as we walk this walk, it's 
we have a personal choice. If you look at, uh, you know, Saul himself had the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, but you still have free will. You know, you still have a free will. Well, am I going to be holy? Am I going to am I going to continue to be holy, make righteous decisions every day? Because it's like that every day. You know, it's you don't just get the spirit and then all of a sudden, you know, every minute, every minute, every exactly. Day. Amen. So, um, you know, I think the argument was more of, uh, you know, do you practice the whole Torah and then? You're accepted and you receive salvation. And and we would argue against that. Yes, we would. Strongly. Yes, we would. Not because of one law. Not because or of one divine law. invitation. Yeah. But because we don't believe that the works of righteousness can do Get us anything. salvation or justify us. Exactly. Exactly. So Not our, our own works. Our yeah. place in the world to come can never be mm -hmm. looked at because of our works. Yes, sir. But only that our works of righteousness are because of our empowerment by the mm -hmm. by Yeshua and because of his sacrifice. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have the number two. We have two salvations in bilateral ecclesiology. We have divine invitation. Get the die. <laughs> and we have two houses. So let's talk about bilateral ecclesiology. What does it mean? Big nine dollar word. Yes. Fine. Now be, be gentle. I know. It's, I may have some of the details off here, but from by what I understand, that Yeshua was really just for the Gentiles. Okay. Um, that so he came. So Paul, in saying that, you know, you got to have faith in Yeshua to be justified. That's just for the people Paul is ministering to, so the Romans and all these folks. But everything else was. How has it has been for the Jews, and so you're so, you're sort so, of so, in the same. So, all right, so so I think you're close, but I don't think you're right on the mark. There. Okay. So so how would the Jew get saved if not through Yeshua? Surely, surely not through works. Mm. I don't know that part. Okay, what do you got? Um, by bilateral ecclesiology. By, speak up so we can hear. Uh, by obviously mean to ecclesia. Yeah, you know congregation, right? So there's two congregations. There's the Gentile congregation and there's the Jewish congregation. Not that Messiah is for one, it's for one and not the other. Gotcha, it's yeah. Messiah is for both. And there's two sides. But there's two sides. There's there's two there's the Jewish side and there's the Gentile side. And the Jewish side, you know, uh, is obligated to keep all the Torah, and the Gentile side not is right. not. Uh, that's basically what bilateral. Bilateral ecclesiology. So, what's the problem? It's almost reminiscent from what Brother Greg just shared with uh, dual covenant theology. I'm not familiar with dual covenant. What is dual covenant? Well, that God has chosen one way for one people and another way for another people. But, but this is not for salvation. They would both, by, by somebody who's bilateral ecclesiology, will tell you Yeshua is the only way. For salvation, the only way to have a place in the world to come. Because it's not bilateral soteriology, right? Okay. Which is salvation. It's, it's bilateral ecclesiology, which is the gathering of of the, the congregation of the kahal. Right. Mm. Okay. I think the problem we have with bilateral ecclesiology, Jesus gets brought up, gentle, gentile don't, is that you know, it's something you mentioned a lot. You know, God changes not. 
which means if he came and he came from Jews, and he was a Jew, he was a Jew, and he did all those things, why would we as Gentiles think that we're get this special buy on the whole tour? What's, what's the problem on the Jewish side? Or on the Messianic Jewish side? What are they concerned about? Losing their identity. Yeah. They have actually called it spiritual holocaust. You're killing the Jews out by practicing like a Jew. You're watering them down. How do you respond to that? Well, just, just a comment really quick. Wouldn't that be characteristic of what Paul said about provoking them to jealousy? That type of response? Okay. It, it is difficult to take Paul's comment about, and uh, if you saw, how many saw Rick's, uh, Rick Spurlock's Bereans online uh, yeah. email? He talks about, you know, how, how do we make them jealous? And this word can is mostly translated as zeal. How do we make them zealous? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, practice their faith, do what they do, and make them want to do it even that, more. That much more, right? You bet. And, and I've seen that even in my own life, as I've I've been walking the walk, and you know the Jew will say, "You're more religious than I." And my response: Why would that be? <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> Answer your spiritual Holocaust question. Yes. I think, I don't think it's within our power to do that because people have tried to do that before and they're still here, still observing Torah, all these things. So I don't, I don't think we have the ability <coughs> to do that. Well, I think the uh, you're you're speaking more on the physical realm, but they're thinking, well, gosh, Brock, if you keep the Shabbat, then and let's let's just take it to its extreme, and all of the Gentiles kept Shabbat. That's the only thing that sets us apart, is that we were given Shabbat, we keep Shabbat, we are the one who proclaim that we've got a great God that gave us such great laws. Mm. What's the fallacy? Why did he do that? So that the nations would, so that the nations would look and, and desire and emulate it. And emulate it, exactly right. I think that it's somewhat ironic that they think they're losing their identity when... Um, without infringing upon ethnicity, I think it'd be a great thing that more people are proclaiming Shabbat, uh, as opposed to a small kind of pockets of folks here and there. If you walk into a room and Jew and Gentile, they all look the same. Awesome. That's the point. What does it say to say about Shabbat? All the Jews or all the Gentiles keep Shabbat. Yeah. And some if all Israel keeps Shabbat, Messiah would come. Um... It's it's confusion, you know. And Yah says he, he he says he's not the author of confusion. And then uh, you know it's it's that one standard, you know. It's like you know to go from kindergarten to the first grade, or first grade to the second grade. Each kid can't make up like, oh, I'm I'm gonna be good at playing in the sandbox, and then I'm going to the first grade. There is a standard for every for each grade level. There's a standard. You know, and I think the the Torah is that standard, you know, for all of us, not would, just for. Would, would you would you agree and replace your word standard with expectation? Yes, yes, yes. So expectation. So you put yeah. yourself in a very small group because the folks that believe in divine invitation would say that there's no expectation on God's part that you would keep any or all of the Torah. 
Well, he tells but, us. But you can because yeah. it's good for you. Yeah. You can because there's blessings. Yeah. You can because it, it makes yeah. him happy. Well, we don't have I mean, to. But, but you, you do it, but that shouldn't be the reason you do it. The reason you do it shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to get salvation. Oh, I want the new body. Oh, I want to serve in the world to come. The reason you do it is because he's your father and you love him. Amen. It's out of respect. That's why my son takes out the garbage. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm serious. You, I mean, just because you love him. Amen. Well, the, I mean, the other... The other, um, the other elephant in the room with respect to divine invitation is uh, when is something sin and when is it not? Ooh. So You're not going to go down that homosexual right now, are you? So, <laughs> so in other words, you know, for the for the Christian Gentile who who believes in Messiah Yeshua, right, but he isn't keeping the Torah. He's probably keeping a lot of the weight in your matter. Sure. Right? But he's certainly probably not keeping, you know, um, a lot of other commandments. And how many of you have seen those Christians go to go to church on Sunday and then they don't shoo away the mother bird and they take the eggs? Don't you hate that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the guy that clearly loves <clears throat> Messiah Yeshua is feeding the hungry and the homeless and Widows and orphans and doing all the weightier matters, and yet he doesn't have he doesn't wear zitzi, he doesn't keep kosher, and all these other things that are clearly commanded by God. Yeah. Right? You mean you're really going to call him a sinner? And he's you know if the temple was standing, he he would have to take. You're telling me he'd have to take a, a sacrifice up to the temple? Is that what you're telling me, Joe? You're going to call every every Christian. Uh, all these God-fearing people, you're calling them all sinners, hands down. Is that really what you're? Is that really what you're doing? That's what I'm doing. So that's that's the that's, that's the, the elephant, and the, that's the that's the rug. Right. Yeah. So let me let me uh, let me play back uh, what Greg just did. I got you. So let's see. How, how did I know I was a sinner? Mm -hmm. Torah. Torah. I broke his law. Mm -hmm. What's the definition of sin? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. I broke the Torah. I broke his law. Who makes the law? Nobody else. So I know I'm a sinner because I have broken his law. Now I'm a new man in Messiah Yeshua. Would my life not change if what I was doing I mean, Paul says the time <clears throat> is sufficient. Mm. I mean, you have plenty of time to sin. Get get over it. Mm. You, there's no excuse anymore. Stop sinning. You're to be perfect because you have any father's perfect. All these things. Mm. Well, what's the opposite of breaking his law? Not breaking <laughs> his law. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I mean, even even kids get that. Okay. Yes. The divine invitation. You sort of get this. Reverse corollary, what Yeshua was talking about with the the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't don't do what they say, but do what they do because a lot of them are usually over the top in their practice. You know, sure. Just sort of making a joke, but it's it's founded in reality. You bet. You know because the you know a lot of them are you know they go to the they're extremes. doing they're doing the work. They go to the extremes. They're doing it all, but they're it, so it's it's. Pretty much the exact opposite of the, the earlier mentioned phrase of doing what they say. 
Do you think that the master's work when he was here for the three years was to affect spiritual salvation, a place in the world to come during those three years? Really? What did he do in those three years that did anything for my place in the world to come? Aside from, he kept the Torah, and now he who is without sin became sin on my behalf. I got that part. But other than his own walk, which we're supposed to emulate, hmm, did he do anything for my place in the world to come during those three years? Did he not do for me the ultimate for my place in the world to come in the last week of his life? So what did he do for the rest of the three years? Taught us how to live. He taught us how to live, right? And I would say he was calling men to be physically righteous on the planet. Yeah. And who was he calling to do that? Everybody. His family. Uh -huh. He said, I, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh -huh. yeah. What did he say? Young, rich young ruler. What, what should I be doing? Keep the commandments. Yeah. You know, was his attitude wrong? Absolutely. But it was repent. Mm -hmm. Now the reason was because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. I don't, I don't deny that. But his whole focus was, I came to my people, and I'm expecting to see righteousness. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with a place for the, in the world to come. It has nothing to do with spiritual salvation. This is strictly, these are my people. You're supposed to be keeping my law. You're mm -hmm. supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. Yes. Hello, yes. what are you yes. doing? What did he say about the Pharisees? Man, he called them thieves and robbers. Man. Oh no, he did. But, but that, that was that's a couple of one-offs. Let's not get let's not fall in where the where the visible representation yeah. of the church does. Yeah. What was his what was his normal attitude towards the Pharisees? He dined with them. He died with them. He ate with them. He loved them. Yeah. What did he say? I didn't I didn't come to call them righteous. He assumes that they are righteous. Right. This, these guys are righteous. Yeah. Their walk's fine. Yeah, he called that them the sinners. Uh, he sick. called sinners to repentance. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's what he did. But, but, you know, there's an element of the humility that he called us to as well. Oh, no, no question. You know, he, I, he definitely called yeah. us to humility. You know, he even in his parables, he would uplift, you know, the guy that was beating his breast and tearing himself. But isn't that keeping the that, uh, Yes, but he was calling us to keep it from the heart. No question. Yeah. From and he made it clear, just, just as Moses people. did, hey guys, you can do this. Mm. You don't need to call somebody. You don't mm -hmm. need a cell phone for this. Mm -hmm. Overseas flight. It's right here. Yeah. It's in your mouth. It's awesome. Good. Yes. Who? Yes. Um, I was just going to say, talking about like, you know, the way we look and everything. And I you heard, look marvelous. <laughs> I heard um I heard Joshua say one time just as, you know, even if we we didn't look great, Yeshua would still love us. Amen. But um but just like we want to present ourselves physically attractive to our Wives, yes. not married yet. So yes. I imagine my yes. wife would love me regardless. Yes. Um, but um, but I tell you what, my wife doesn't come out of that bedroom until she puts her makeup on. Yeah. She gets dressed for me. So it's just for like me. just like we would want to present ourselves physically attractive to our spouse. How much more should we want to present ourselves physically attractive to our Maker and, and to the bridegroom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to the right? bridegroom. So. Now the neat part about it is, 
that you probably said it way better. But that was the neat part about it is that he's expecting you to do that work, yeah. and he promises to do that work mm -hmm. in you. The work that he began, he will bring to fruition. And yet he says, you need to do the works of righteousness. And you need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's a two-part deal. In the end, you need to circumcise your heart. Because I'm going to circumcise your heart. How can you circumcise your heart? Well, he's going to do that too. Unbelievable. And you know the neat part? In the end, he is going to present you to himself wow. without spot blameless now how's that going to work guys how are you going to be blameless according to the law you think that's tough yeah. I went up to Canada a couple of weeks ago and I asked them how many of you didn't sin today and no hands went up I was shocked how many of you didn't sin today I got maybe one how many of you are really afraid to raise your hand how many of you think, I can never raise my hand? How many of you think you can go through a day without sin? How many of you think you can do a day without sin? I promise you, you not only think you should, but God expects you to do so. There's no reason you can't go a day without sinning. You know all the rules. You know what pleases God. You know what is detestable to Him. You have within you the power to not sin. So the big question is not, what do I do about it? The big question is, why are you still sinning? I mean, why? If you ask yourself that question, it will change your life. Because you'll recognize. It's not because I don't know the Torah, because you know it's wrong. It's because I chose to sin. And I did today. And I'm ashamed of it. I chose to sin. Maybe you did too. But we are people saved by God, empowered by His Spirit, and who have heard the whole Torah at least once. Do it. It can be done. Going back to what you mentioned about uh, what he did in the three years, mm -hmm. uh, help me out a little bit. Um, I, I follow what you're saying about the way, all these different things, but yeah. I also see that from the get-go, his first words are about the world to come. His whole focus was on the world to come. The prophets say your righteousness is as filthy rags apart from Yeshua. And he yes. talks about himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father for which they wanted to stone him, which right. is what makes his death and resurrection that more mesmerizing because yes. here you have God now in flesh and he says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father of the world to come right. apart from me so and, and again you see here's a cup if you don't drink of my blood here's bread if you don't eat of my flesh yes so I'm just saying I would say those three years uh, if not equal even more so about the world to come I, I didn't him. say they weren't about the world to come I said they weren't for the world to come because if they were for the world to come, no one after him could be saved. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a place in the world to come who trusts in his finished work. And that finished work was that time on the cross. It wasn't those three years. Those three years didn't do anything for me at all. 
All he did was give me an example. What, what do you so don't get don't get lost in the in the detail. All I was trying to point out is that his focus was primarily to Israel, which means it wasn't all about the world to come. It was about his people. It was about focusing and saying, guys, the kingdom is at hand. Change your behavior. That was his primary message was repent. You can't say repent to a Gentile because he doesn't know the Torah. But you can say repent to someone who knows the Torah. And that was his message over and over and over again. I'm not saying he wasn't talking about the world to come. I'm not saying that wasn't there. That's just that my point is his focus was on physical righteousness. And it was only to Israel. To the point of actually excluding and questioning. What do I have to do with it? So with repent, is Yeshua calling when he says repent to back to the Torah or yes. back to Yeshua? It's back to the Torah. Torah. I Physical Back I might to the be then reading a different book because all I see is he's calling them back to Yeshua. He doesn't say that. Because you Actually, can't I don't get that at all. Because uh, if you read uh, Matthew 5 through 7, and I know this man's lovely wife has <laughs> memorized the entire thing. Did you? Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which he gives to his disciples, it's the most famous sermon in the entire Yeshua's ministry. And during that entire sermon, not once does he mention his finished work on the cross. Right. In fact, the disciples didn't even know it was coming. Because up to this point, he hasn't even told them right. he's going to die. Oh, and he did tell them. They didn't really understand. They didn't want to buy into Most of them didn't understand what he was saying. So his, it's, not to, it's not to diminish what he does on the, on the cross or, what, or, or his resurrection or why that's important. Exactly. It's to say that... That wasn't the focus. That wasn't the focus during, at that, at, during that stretch. And not, that's not to say that it's not the most important thing. It's just saying that that wasn't during that three years... His focus. Your, your references in John are oblique at best. Drink my blood, eat my flesh means what? He hasn't died. He hasn't done anything. Right. And, and it's, I it's mean, it, to me, it sounds it sounds like a covenant message that says, "Take my life," which means do what I do. Exactly. Really. Exactly. All right. So we got to move. We got to move on. One question. Yeah. In uh, uh, Psalm fifty-one, Isaiah, um, when he's calling Israel to repentance, he's not calling them back to. Torah first. He's first calling them back to that, him, and then the matters of the Torah will be acceptable. To no him. one denies it. That's exactly and right. So that's what I'm saying. Is but that's not what he did. Yeshua. But that's not what he did. That's what David said. Speaking of Yeshua. Absolutely, without question. But that's what David said. All I pointed out is his physical ministry did not reflect that all the time. That's all. Not a big deal. Alright, we've got bilateral not salvations, but communities. So the problem, unless you're not seeing it, and I try and not look at it, Pete brings me up to speed at times, Rick brings me up to speed at times, um, there's a lot of angst in Messianic Judaism today. And that angst is, sorry guys, you. Your walk is not what they want to see. You just need to be aware of that. I applaud you. And I'm standing here with you. Let's keep the Torah. And for those that say that there's a different standard for the Gentile, to those that say that there's really two communities within the body of Messiah, you should have an, an argument. You should have an answer. That's all I'm saying. Because there's two out there. The divine invitation thing, same kind of deal. It's just There's two out there. Quick question. 
Is there a such thing as a quick question? <laughs> no, no. I don't know. I'll make this as quick as I can. Well, you can ask it as slow as you want. It's the answer I'm concerned <laughs> For the Christian who is out feeding the poor and is keeping the weightier um, matters of the Torah, yes. but is not Torah observant, yes. we who are, yes. we treat them as um, Aquila and Priscilla treated Apollos. I think that's probably the best way. Um, Draw the question to that. And, 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 I, and I think a, a good quote would be the Master in Matthew 5, who said, if you don't keep the Torah and you teach others not to keep the Torah, it's not that you're not in the kingdom. You're just the street sweeper. You're at the bottom. Sorry. I think we just have to focus on calling them back to Yeshua on that because We've got a lot of Muslims who uphold the weightier matters of the Torah without lowering abortion and outlawing homosexuality and things like that. As yeah, well. I, so I would never be. want to go on tape yeah. and be recorded as saying that I think that any Muslim is doing any keeping of the Torah. Yeah. They, missed the number they may be keeping the Quran, but <laughs> if they keep it all, they're going to kill you. I just don't want to limit it down to social issues. Okay. The whole thing is lifting up they're very people. moral people at times. Yeah. That's, that's all. I just don't want to go social, but as far social, as like, right. social justice. So, so uh, what's, what's your response to the guy in the visible representation of the church who dismisses the Torah rather than tries to be observant to the Torah? Well, just, just to say, don't stop doing what you're doing. That is, those what are your matters. That's... Praise God. Exactly. And, and to jack me up when I need to be jacked up, and I'm not doing that. Yes. But let's not forsake these things. Excellent. And, and just to bring them yeah. And you would use as reasons to do that? Yeshua's own life. Yeshua's life as an example. Yeshua's commands. Mm-hmm. What else? Well, he calls, I forget where it is, he calls the Pharisees to repentance because they tithe mint, cumin, and dill, yes. but forsake the matter, the uh, 15, greater yeah. matters of the Torah. These you should have done while not forsaking the least, the, the lesser matters. So exactly. it's both. It's not either or. Yeah. I think your argument's weak, though, because most of the visible representation of the church is going to diss the Pharisees to begin with. Yeah, that is, that is true, but then you have to wrestle with, well, is Paul lying when he says... Ego and me, the Pharisee. I am a Pharisee. And and is he lying when he says, "I am blameless, according to the law," yeah. and that he's kept the traditions of his people? Yeah. All right. Good question. Good. Isn't the answer love? Mm-hmm. Should we not do exactly what the master did? This is fulfillment and, of the law. Yeah. I mean, I, Rick Spurlock is constantly thinking, hey, I think you're keeping the, are you, are you keeping the, are you keeping the law? Yeah. I am doing everything I can to be obedient. Really? Gosh. And he would take a step back and go, I'm just trying to be obedient. I'm not telling you what you have to do. It can be a good example. I'm going, to skip, I'm going to skip the two house thing because I just don't have time. And, and I'm tired. Um, the Trinity. There are many Jews that think that we believe in polytheism. In fact, as I was arguing Yeshua as Messiah with an Orthodox Jew sitting on that couch, 
the first inroad that we made, and you were there, um, and I think you were there for a time. I think you had to work. Covering the business. <laughs> I think the first inroad we got was, oh, well then you're not idolaters. What do you mean by idolaters? Worshipping another god. Worshipping other gods. gods. Yes. Yeah. So we got to get down to monotheism mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So now how do you defend monotheism and the Trinity? Now somebody go, Trinity is not in the Bible. That word does not exist in the Bible. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> I'll have the shrimp and the potatoes. Come on. Give me something. Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, we have to recognize that God is beyond our comprehension. Okay, so, so you're going to, you know, I just can't understand all this? Not, not, not entirely. Okay. Um, he is one, and yet we see. How do you know he's one? Because uh, we already read that. Because he, he said so. Okay. He said he's one. Um, yeah, it also <laughs> explicitly describes the spirit of God. We even get, like, plurals mm -hmm. of that. Elohim, by definition, is, is a, a plural, plural word. word. Um, depending on your interpretation of the passages, there are some interesting commentary where God talks to himself in the plural. You know, maybe what they made in our image. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Etc. Which, which the Jew Jewish interpretations have their own arguments for that, but nonetheless... There's some biblical backing for why God is more complicated than might appear when you're talking one. Now, he is one, no doubt. And in that, I would say, um, I like to just simply say that Yeshua, Messiah, is God. But there's only one God. Now, explaining all of the, the, the back and forth and the ins and outs, I don't know that I necessarily have to even do that. I mean, I would almost like to turn to the Jewish person and say, well, explain to me how there's only, you know, one God, he makes everything, but um, is he... But um, what? I mean, you know, how does he, how do you handle issues of free will? If I, if I uh, make a choice... I think, I, think you, I, think you, I think you missed the point. You missed it. You were right on there. I would get taken to Daniel 7. Hello? Oh, who is this? I, who is this? I got an old guy, and I got this younger guy, and the throne is given to this guy. Is that two gods? Or, or we could go to... What's the ancient of days? Or we Hello? could just use Yeshua's own argument. David says, my Lord... It's said to my Lord. Right. Yeah. And so, wait, right he's David's son, why does he call Exactly. Him? So we've already got issues that are sticky in the scripture that teach us what you said. Hey, it's complex. <laughs> now, do I need to know how that all works in order to have a place in the world to come? No. Is everybody clear on that? The fact that your theology may be a little messed up, can that affect your place in the world to come? Not if you understand that Yeshua is the only way. If you believe that there's nine gods and they somehow got congealed into one and it's still one, you know, you're wrong. But it doesn't have anything to do with your place in the world to come because your thoughts... Your theological premises, as wrong as they may be, if they recognize and acknowledge that Yeshua is the Son of God, and that only His work can give you a place in the world to come, then it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to be a little wacko in some area of their theology. And, and I'm trying to put a nice box around that so that we don't throw out things that are actually important. Did I see anything? No. Okay. Uh, just picking up one thought you had there. 
comes to uh, a lot of everything that we uh, understand with respect to theology, right? We all have to start with a premise that all of us have messed up theology somewhere. Amen. Amen. There's not a single person <laughs> in this room that has it all figured out. Except Taylor. Except Taylor. Yeah. Except Taylor. <laughs> Taylor. 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 <laughs> Same. But going back to the going back to the nature of God, which is really what we're talking about. Right? Yes. Um, I mean, you know, I've had conversations with Christians, with Messianics, you know. My current view is we all have to agree there's one God, the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exactly. Now, how you then want to try to explain, and you can come up with scriptures to, for all kinds of different views. No question. How you want to try to explain, you know, is God, you know, how can he be one and yet three? Well, what about the Shekinah? Was the Shekinah not God? Uh, I can get all the way to 11. Why is one? You know, yes. I'm serious. I'm serious. Absolutely. Those discussions go academic very quickly. You bet. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying, you know, we, finite beings with limited ability to understand, are trying to explain someone who, by definition, is not fully describable in language and in terms that we have, right? So. There is a mystery. There's there's something mystical to God in this respect, and we can see in Scripture that there is these multiple you know dimensions, persons, Godhead, how whatever term you want to use, knock yourself out, you know. But hey, I don't think sees. the only thing we can be dogmatic about is there is one God. Amen. The way I'm putting, do you believe in the Trinity? What do you mean by Trinity? Yeah. Well, I believe that God the Father is God. I believe that. I believe that Yeshua is God's Son. I believe that. I believe He's God. I believe that too. I believe the Holy Spirit is a person. The Scripture seems to describe Him as a person. I believe He's God. I agree with that. So you believe in the Trinity. You didn't define the Trinity. But so far, we're right on track. We're What's your point? Things that are What's your point? Right? There, there you go. What's your point? Right? Two? Right? Three? Who's up? Did you have a hand up? No. You did? Look, I did. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make a comment that it, there's this ability to hold the tension of opposites. Whereas we see this uh, multiplicity within the Godhead, but yet God is. One. Amen? Uh, and the whole term Godhead appears to be a man made well, uh, tradition thing. I was just going to share a really in Acts 20, verse 28, 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on, God for, uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made the overseers to shepherd the ecclesia of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And there you've got all yeah. three, bam, mm -hmm. in one verse. And there's at least two more in the apostolic scriptures as well, where yeah. you you got all three. Yeah. And there may be one in Isaiah. Yes, but if, and then, uh, you know, dovetailing off him, right, uh, you look at what Yeshua said, 
I want you to be one with us as I am one. He you says, know? you're all sons you know of what God. I'm saying? So it's, 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 it's like that, that plural of unity you're talking about, family. Well, he was one with the Father, yes? Yes. Are you one with your wife? Yes. Are you the same as your wife? No. Well, see. Two different persons? But, yes. Two different bodies? Yes. Hmm. But, I think that but you can't go any further than that. You've got to stop and go, right. like you said, we're, we're trying to explain yeah. the unexplainable. We, we know in part. And yeah. using physical yeah. stuff. Exactly. All right, so we move on. All right, so the, the big deal here is, and, and this is important, I think in the visible representation of the church today, the big number is three. Why not seven? There are seven spirits of God. I got you. I'm just telling you that the big number is three. That's what the visible representation of church focuses on. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's it. You get baptized. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Keep him down too long. Right? I mean, it's three. And I would suggest and recommend that your focus when referring to God is Echad. Is what? That doesn't deny the divinity of Yeshua. It doesn't deny the, the representation of God in His Spirit or in His Shekinah or in a cloud or in a rock which never left them and went with them which is later described to be Yeshua Himself. Is a rock. Jesus is a rock. Okay. All right. Two house, sacred name. Part two. <coughs> yes. We go this, after nine, Nehemiah won't come back anymore. Yeah, this is a problem. Oh, man, I don't mind this. All right, so it's nine o'clock, so we're going to call it a night. Um, we come back together again. Um, we're going to talk about two house and sacred name and what these movements are about. And we're going to talk about what's good about them and what's great about them. And then we're going to talk about some possible problems with them. And we're going to do it on a high level. And we're going to do it very openly and kindly. Because just like our brothers and sisters, not those pagans in the visible representation of the church, but rather our brothers and sisters in Messiah Yeshua that are in the visible representation of the church, we need to treat them with love. And as Aquila and Priscilla did, with, or actually Priscilla and Aquila, she's a talker, um, <laughs> with Apollos, we need to perhaps defend and show a better way. So, this is the last class of this year. Tomorrow night is the new year. I hope you're going to do something cool and special. It's not only Erev Rosh Hashanah, it's Erev Rosh Chodesh, right? Yeah. So, at sundown, it's a new year, guys. If you haven't made your peace with God or with everybody else, thank you for your email, by the way. Um, you're running short on hours. Okay. So, we're going to gather together on Thursday at noon. Remember, don't go to the old park place. You don't have to go around. The instructions will be on the meetup. And it'll be cool. It'll be great. I, I'll try and remember to bring horseshoes. Maybe someone to bring a volleyball. You guys can have a great time if you want to do that. Okay? For those of you who think that playing games on Shabbat is a sin because of the oral tradition, don't play. You know? Yeah. It's a. Um, I'm not going to play, by the way. Not no more. 
but I'm not going to play. Um, <laughs> if you have a shofar, you want to bring it. And then uh, we will not have another class until after Sukkot, until after all of the holidays for this for this season are done. I want to encourage you now as we, uh, as we close up here. This is the season of our joy, the sages say. This is the season of the fall festivals and feasts. This should be a happy and wonderful and exciting time. And if you're feeling kind of dismal and down in the dumps, call me on the phone. Let's go dance. Let's go to the pistol range. Let's do something that'll cheer you up because this should be a big and wonderful time for you. But it's at this time that you're going to come up against questions, mostly, from those of, of your family and friends who are still in the visible representation of the church. And I want to give you one focus for this year. I haven't bumped into a Christian in the last 15 years that hasn't heard about how Yeshua is the Passover. And they're all starting to have these Pesach things at the church, the church building. They all see it. They're all starting to glom onto it. God bless them. That's fabulous. So why don't you start your conversations rather than being defensive about keeping the feasts, why don't you excite them? You know, we were so excited in our family to find out that Yeshua, in his person, fulfilled all those spring feasts with Passover, unleavened bread. I mean, he was without sin. He's the first fruits, Paul says. It's a wonderful thing. And then Shavuot, Pentecost. You know, some say it's birth of the church. Wow. Right? The Jews and the Gentiles come together. Just talk. Just talk. Don't get into theology. We just spill it over. If, do you believe? Do you believe? that he fulfilled all those, that God wrote this all about his son, that we would see him, and so many tens of thousands did. We believe that the fall feasts are the represent representation of his second advent of when he comes back. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, makes it very clear that the trumpet of God will sound. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 51 and 52, he says, At the last trump, we shall all be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. I believe that with all my heart, don't you? And Thursday is the day of the blowing of the trumpet. We're going to blow that shofar. I wonder, do you think it might be the ram's horn from the ram that, uh, that Abraham uh, found in the thicket? Hey, you want to go? You want to go mystical? <laughs> go mystical on. <laughs> Do you believe that God will actually blow the shofar, and everyone will see Him when He comes? They will see Him with a perceptive view. I believe that, and we're celebrating that in my family, and it's so exciting. And I'd love to, I'd love to invite you, but I don't want you to feel funny. I'm going to wear funny clothing. <laughs> That's all. Who would not want to be invited? Who would not want to be a part? If you say it with excitement, because it's all about our master. Invite folks. Feel free to invite folks. If you're going to come here on Erev Yom Kippur, I want to encourage you. You might want to leave your bride and your children at home. If you bring them here, it's going to be tough. 
It's a solemn time throughout your life. Think about it. Yeah. Get a babysitter. Yeah. Pay the babysitter before or after. Remember, if you're going to come for Tashlik, you don't need any Talit. Okay. We're going to bring the stones. You got your mock sore? Bring your mock sore. If you don't have one, you'll be standing close to somebody else. You'll be very sore. Um, you can bring us the door. That'll you can bring us the door. Way. It'll be tough. It'll be tough to go through it. Secondly, if you're coming on Yom Kippur, if you have a kittle, wear your kittle. Okay. That's your, your white garment there. Okay. Um, we're going to be wearing, or trying, just for the sake of tradition, not to wear leather. We will not wear jewelry, cologne, all that kind of good stuff. We're going to put away the trappings of what makes us look cool and pretty, and just come as we are. Somebody start humming just as I am as I go through the process. No, I'm only kidding. Um, so that's, that's on Erev uh, Yom Kippur. And then we're going to meet at my house. At Joshua's house for uh, prayers the next day at 10 o'clock. And when you come, you might want to bring a bottle of water. You want to bring your machsor. Those prayers are probably going to take you two solid hours. You say bottle of water? Three. Well, you it's can't bring, unless you don't drink water enough before, because some people don't. I, I beg your pardon. If, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be providing all the food, which is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just realized it, yeah. Bringing a bottle of water won't cut it, and it probably would be inappropriate for you to drink water in front of those who aren't. Uh, Bring lots of water. You don't want to cause a brother to stumble. So that's that. Um, and then, if you want to, we come back here at the end of the day, after you're all smelly, stinky, and your breath smells really bad. Gargle if you want. If that's in your halakha, please. And then you come back here. We'll have uh, Nela prayers, which is the last prayers of the uh, of the time, and then we'll have Havdalah. And then we will break fast together here. So if you want to come to that, that's great. Just one, backing up to uh, to Thursday. Oh, I beg your pardon. After we're done at the lake, um, our home will be open. We'll have uh, soup and some other things there. Uh, if you want to bring something, just bring a par dish because we will be serving meat. Uh, but uh, everybody's welcome to come hang out with us. You know. And that's, I mean, it's literally five minutes from the park. You can almost walk. You can't walk, but you can almost walk. Everybody know what a parv dish is? Not mm -hmm. dairy. dairy. Well, a parv dish goes with either one. Yeah. So it's no dairy. Two Question on logistics. Logistics. Young people, with the no jewelry being the first year I'm actually married. I understand not wearing a watch. I never take off my wedding ring for any reason whatsoever. Okay. Is it's, there up, a, it's up to you, though. It's a it's a first, it's a halakhic thing. You know, and, and we're just, we're it's a tradition. It. You want to show up in a, you know, in a, in a leisure suit and, you know, big tie and all of that with leather, leather, fun. You know, I just yeah. want you to not feel uncomfortable that there will be many, and most, I would say, that are trying to follow those traditions and really afflict our souls and really get down to the basics. I like following a lot of traditions, but I think every year I've had a, a purity ring, and this year my wedding band that will be on. Amen. I was wearing the jewelry. As we want. I won't have my watch. And no leather, but I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. It would that. be fun to take your purity ring off for you before. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, it's really almost <laughs> backwards, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Guys, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a great year. It just flew by, and, and I can't tell you what it does for my walk to see you guys, some of you driving a long way, and I appreciate it so much to come 
and to argue and to learn and some of you to teach. Somebody's on the docket here coming up after the holidays, I think, right? I think so. Looking for that email on that date so I can hold you accountable. How many of you are glad that Father Ted is going to teach? So let me pray for you. Good Father Avino Malkenu, we thank you. We thank you so much for the time that you've granted us to bloody to study and to learn uh, and to recognize who you are. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for these men. I ask a special blessing on them for the next year that it may be a sweet and fruitful year for them. And Father, that you would find us faithful in these fall feasts to recognize and lift up the name and work of your son Yeshua in all that we say and do, that we might be a testimony to those outside, to those in the visible representation of the church that believe that the Torah has no place in our lives anymore, as well as to the Jew who wonders 